0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Wolf Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. Uh, hey, uh, God is stirring in the hearts of his people. God is moving, and, and, and as Kevin mentioned, I think you might be able to feel it and sense it. It's more than just feeling, though. It's, it's something deep within us that God is, is doing something for his own glory that is marvelous. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to kind of unfold for you the meaning of the tent, how it came about, and what we're expecting, and, and what we're to do this week. Um, Sometimes I feel like I say things too much. In fact, um, there's an old adage, an axiom, I guess, in leadership that says this. You haven't said something enough until people start repeating what you say in a mocking way. And so the truth is, I probably haven't spoken enough about it, and I probably haven't explained enough of what we're expecting and the why. Why? So open your Bibles, if you will, to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33 is actually the verse or the passage that God showed me long after the idea of the tent was even uh, uh, conceived. And I love it when God does that. Doesn't he often confirm something in your life by showing you that he already wrote it down in scripture after he tells you to do it? You ever notice how that happens? And it's like, whoa, this is biblical. So this tent, I had the idea, probably, I I couldn't even tell you when it was birthed inside of my heart, maybe three or four years ago. And I kinda kept it under wraps, I really didn't tell anybody, I just threw it in the, the basket of stupid ideas. I don't know if you have a basket of stupid ideas, but I have a truckload of stupid ideas. I'm like an idea guy, and so I'm thinking of all kinds of ideas, and I usually look at it and play with it, and it's bright and shiny, then I go, nah, we won't do that. And so I, I just stack them all, and this is one of those things that I just stacked away. And the reason for it really is quite simple. Number one, in, 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 at the time, I guess, 2020 or before, um, when's the last time you saw a tent on the corner for revival can you even think of a time 20 years ago it used to be the thing and so in my mind I'm thinking okay this is crazy number one nobody would come number two we're in Florida and it's usually hot or it's raining and number three it's just a dumb idea But God had planted it so firmly, and he kept bringing it up over and over and over. And finally, I I, I had what little bit of courage I could muster up, and I talked to a few local pastors about it and said, hey, what do you think about this? And they said, well, that's maybe dumb enough to work. So we started doing some planning. And we planned, and we prayed, and we met until it was time to do it. And about two weeks before we were going to actually have this thing start, everything shut down. It was March 22nd was the original date, 2020. And I held out to the very end thinking that somehow God was going to make a way, but every single door closed. And I thought to myself, well, if the Lord, if, if he really did have the idea for us, if it really was him saying it, and if it was shut down, and he still wants it, he will make a way at some point. Fast forward to about three months ago. Maybe four months ago. Now's the time. I guess around the first of the year. Now's the time. So we looked at the calendar, and we said, you know what? March 28th, that's past, that's uh, uh uh, the the Passover week it's it's just before Easter we're gonna do this since then the condition of the other other guys have changed and so it's like you know what if God has said to do it we're gonna do it and all of the details fell into place until today at 6 p.m. we're gonna open the tent which is kind of a misnomer because it doesn't have walls so it's already open But let me tell you the why. I want to help you to understand why I believe this is what God has purposed for us to do. And let me tell you the how. And let me tell you the goal. Okay, In Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 6, we won't read that, but let me tell you what's happening. God says to Moses, tell the people the following words. They are a stiff-necked people. So I am going to send them to the promised land. The thing that I said I would do because I'm a a God of my word, but I'm going to send an angel before them. I'm not going to go with you because if I went with them, I would destroy them before they ever got there. That's pretty stout from God, don't you think? I'm going to do I'm going to fulfill my own word, but I'm not going to go with the people because if I went with them, their sin would be so grievous that I would destroy them before they ever made it to the promised land. So just go. And so the very next verse, chapter of verse seven, tells us what Moses chose to do. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. "'Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. "'And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance "'of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. "'As Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance "'while the Lord spoke with Moses.' And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance of his own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. And you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. For how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now Lord, show me your glory. In this text, I believe we have a blueprint of what we're doing this week. The tent was set outside of the city or outside of the camp, why? It was a physical representation of the true spiritual condition of the people of God. It was a a, a visible um, um, reminder that God was not in the camp, God was outside because there was a wall of sin between God and the people. God already said, you are a stiff-necked people and I'm not even gonna go with you because if I go with you, I'll destroy you. And so when Moses set the tent outside the city, he was saying, listen, God has not abandoned you. God is near, but you have got to repent and come to him. And so every time he would go to the tent, the people would stand up outside of their own houses and they would worship. They would watch him go into the tent and then a pillar of cloud would come over the entrance of the tent. And the Bible says that Moses spoke with God face to face as a man would speak with his friend. And the Bible says that Joshua stayed there even when Moses in the evening would leave and go back to the camp. And I think what God is saying to us is this. As a church, we've done everything we can do to, to, uh, to, to awaken our hearts towards God, to, to, for, for God to move in our city. In other words, we've exhausted all of our human capabilities There's literally nothing else we could do. We could not put things more on TV. We couldn't put things more in the papers. We could not make more Facebook posts. There's nothing else that we can do to turn people's hearts back to God. But I think you might agree with me that if there's ever been a time where we've been in desperate need of a move of God, it's now. Would you not agree with me that not only do we have issues in our country, but we have issues in our city, and we have issues in our churches, and we have issues in our families and in our schools? And I don't think I can oversell this. I think the reality is, is that we're looking at a very desperate condition. Sometimes God waits for us to actually see what needs to be done before he tries to fix it. Because you know what happens when God does something without us being ready for it? We've, we don't even see the work of God. In my own mind and heart, I'm thinking that last year was not the right time because we weren't desperate enough. I certainly did not feel like as a whole we had the desperation that we do now. And you know what, this bridge is a physical symbol of what's happening between us and God. There is a broken relationship between people and God, even within the church. Would you agree? We've done all that we can do and yet still, God loves us. And you know, we're not worried so much about God fixing the rest of the world, we're worried about God fixing us. Revival is not God um, um, changing lost people. Revival is his own people being quickened in in their spirit and becoming once again uh, alive in the joy of our own salvation. And after that happens, then the rest of the world takes notice and come to know Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So the tent is not about preaching. There will be very, very little preaching, even if any the tent is for anyone who wants to go and meet God that's what it is it's a place outside of the city where we can go and and find God now, it doesn't mean that God is not here, and it doesn't mean that God is not everywhere. He's God, right? He's not confined to time and space. But in Scripture, multiple places we see that there are, t- there are specific places where when the intention of the human heart is to go and meet with God, God shows up and God meets with them. And here's what I want to get across to you. Everybody in this room doesn't have to be revived for revival to happen, Don't worry about the person to your right or your left. They're not your business. I mean, they kind of are as a brother or sister in Christ. But for this week, don't worry about anybody else but you. Because that's my position. I'm not worried about anybody else. I'm not fretting even whether or not you'll show up. I just know that I'm going to show up. Because I know that what God wants to happen is for individual hearts to find a renewed joy in their relationship with Christ. He wants to see us repent of sin and he wants to see us come to him as little children. To say to God, God, my answer is yes. And if we'll do that, we individually will find true revival. And then as other people find true revival, that's not a word we use anymore, But you know what to revive means? It means the dead comes to life. In a hospital, if someone codes, they do everything they can do to shock them back to life. And there is real celebration when a a heartbeat that has stopped, it was alive and then it stopped and they shock it back into life. There's real satisfaction when that happens. Why? Because it means that we just prevented a death. And I believe that's what God is doing in you and in me. So it's not what the next person needs done. It's what you need done. It's what I need done. Can these bones live? God said to Ezekiel, and his answer only you know. I think that was kind of a cop out, wasn't it? Can these bones live? Lord, yes. Yes, they can. So Moses. Set up a tent, we set up a tent. And what I think is so cool about this, again, I told you earlier, I didn't even know this, I didn't. Re- I read it before, but it never clicked until I was kind of asking the Lord, Lord, why are we doing this? And why are we calling it The Tent? I mean, what a dumb name. Like, that just doesn't make sense. So we had the idea and the name before we ever knew the purpose. But isn't that the way God works sometimes? You know what I think God was doing? I think he was trying to keep us from getting in the way of his own purpose. And there was a delay, and I firmly believe that that delay was of the Lord as well, so that we could become desperate enough to where nothing will stop us from seeking the face of God. And that's what God wants from you and from me. He wants to talk to us, not as God to his people, not just as God to his people, but as friend to friend. That's what God wants. Because not only are we his servants, but we're his friends. That's what, think of it. That's what Jesus called you, a friend. And so, there was a demonstration of God's power there. Now, what am I expecting I'm expecting nothing more than obedience on my part. That, that is, that is the, the entirety of what my expectations are. I haven't thought of, oh, I want to see this number of people there. I want to see this number of people saved. I want to see this kind of praying. I want to see this kind of miracle. My entire expectation is I want to be obedient personally to what God says for Jeff to do. That's my expectation. Why? Because as Kevin said a little earlier, sometimes we we build things out for God. And that's not our job. Our job is just to, to listen and obey, right? So is it possible that we could see people healed of physical sickness? Yeah. I mean, isn't that what Jesus does? I mean, he did it. Can he do it again? I mean, many of us have seen that with our own eyes. And so is anything too difficult for our Lord? But that's his deal. If he wants to do it. He's going to do it. And we're going to celebrate it. Can people be saved? Absolutely. If God wants to do it. He's going to do it. What I envision is a place where we simply gather throughout the day, maybe even throughout the evening. We come and we go. And as people drive by, they see a cloud over the tent where they recognize that God's presence has come. Kind of crazy, isn't it? But isn't that what we need? Isn't that exactly what we need? We haven't called the newspapers and we haven't called channel three and we don't want cameras because this is not about you or me, this is about God. And we want God from the very beginning to the very end to receive all of the glory and all of the praise. That's why our name is not on the tent, in case you were wondering. Because it's not about StoryPoint Church. It's about the kingdom of God. And if people come from the Catholic church or the Episcopal church or the Methodist church or whatever church, and they happen to stop in and find God, I am perfectly good with that, amen? Because guess what? When God moves, he doesn't move in denominations. He moves among people. And here's the old adage as well for leadership. When the tide rises one boat, all the boats rise as well. We should hope and pray for healthy churches in our city. We should hope and pray for Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in our city. We should hope that every church explodes in growth. That should be our prayer. It shouldn't be that we hope that we grow more than them. Right? Hey, this is not my kingdom and it's not yours. It's the kingdom of God. And he's, he's got a bunch of people that, 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 that love him all over the city. We want God to move throughout every church. And we want him to take churches that are not gospel-centered and not gospel preaching and either change them or close them. Amen? Because a church that's not a gospel-centered church is not a church. At least not according to the scripture. So what did Moses do? What was his conversation like? All right, in, in verse 12, Moses begins to ask the Lord the first of three things, and this, this is what I'm asking you, this is what I'm gonna be praying, and I'm, I'm gonna ask you to pray in this direction as well. He asks, number one, Lord, show me your ways. Show me what's next. Show me what you want me to do. The second thing he asked was, Lord, will you give me your presence will your presence go with us? Lord, we need your presence. And the third thing is, show me your glory. Those are three distinct asks. That's a hard word to say, asks. Number one, Show me what's next. In verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now this is in the context of the Israelites. So the nation he's speaking of is the nation who has made a covenant with God, or actually God made a covenant with them. They belong to God. They were God's chosen people. We need to be careful. Now, look, Don't you you write letters if you want, but as a nation, that's not what we're worried about. We're worried about the people of God because we can't expect the nation to be right when the people of God are not right. So, this nation is the Lord's. If we move that into the age of the church, which we're now in, then it's the church. The church are God, we are God's people. You realize that we're trying to fix national problems through politics, and it doesn't work. Can I get a witness? We're trying to fix moral issues with laws, and it doesn't work. It could curb the tie a little bit, but no law is going to change the brokenness and the sinfulness of the human heart. Only the grace of God will do that. And so if we want to see a nation that protects the innocent, if we wanna see a nation that does uh, uh, do all of the good social things that we wanna see, we as the people of God have got to turn our hearts completely towards the gospel and ask Jesus Christ to change us and then use us to influence change. Again, I'm not talking political here. I'm talking this is the church's responsibility. In Jeremiah 29, I believe it is, he tells us that we are to be a people in an exiled land who are a blessing to the city. We're to build houses and plant gardens and get married, and we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that the whole city is blessed because we're there. That's a sermon for another day. But Moses' prayer was, Lord, show me your ways. But I want you to note something. He had already said yes to God before he prayed that. See, one of the problems that we oftentimes have is we ask God, Lord, what's your will? Lord, what do you want me to do next? And once you show me, I'll let you know if I'm willing to do it or not. You ever notice how we do that to God? God. Lord, you show me what to do, and then I'll let you know if I'm in. That's the wrong prayer, folks. The right prayer is, "Lord, I'm in. I just need which direction to move my foot." Because you've you've written a blank check to God, and you said, "God, I, I'm I'm in." Doesn't matter when, how, where, why, how much, none of that matters. Lord, I just want to know you and I want to hear you. And when you say go, I'm just going to start going. That is a person who has a relationship with God, not just a religion. That is a person who trusts the heart and the character of God. And it's not standing back skeptical, waiting for God to prove himself again. God has already done enough to prove himself. He's already demonstrated that he can be trusted in every single area of your life and my life and so when moses said lord show me your way that i may know you and continue to find favor with you he was saying my answer is always yes just tell me which way to go that's my first prayer i hope it's yours too second prayer lord will you make your pre- will you put your presence with us You know, it's amazing how sometimes we as the church can gather and we can sing songs and we can do church things and we can feel so empty and dry because God's presence isn't isn't there. You ever been there? I've been there. I've preached that way before. It's the most miserable place on the planet. The loneliest place on the planet is having to preach without the presence of God preaching through you. It's awful. So he prayed for God's presence. That's what I'm praying for not just a once over time, but a continuation of God's presence, so that everything we do, we know that God is in the center of it. He said, we want your presence, because without your presence, how will people know that we're different? I don't wanna harp on this too much, but folks, listen to me. We will never see change in our country until we are different from the world. If we think like the rest of the world, if we listen like the rest of the world, if we talk like the rest of the world, and if we look like the rest of the world, and I'm not talking about clothing, I'm talking about the heart. If there's no difference in our life in their life, there will never be true turning to Jesus in our country. Think about it. Why would I want to turn to a God if there's no difference in those who claim that God? And then the third thing he prayed, Lord, show me your glory. This is different than your presence. Show me your glory, essentially, in in the easiest possible terms. Lord, show me how amazing you are. Show me your goodness. In fact, that was the answer that God said. He said, look, I'm going to put you in a cleft of the rock, and I'm going to allow my goodness to pass by you. And when I pass by you, I'm going to move you out of the cleft, and I'm going to let you see my backside. The goodness of God was so fantastically awesome, I just made that word up, that only seeing the backside of God was enough for Moses to see God's glory. I've told you this story before, but when I was in college, I had a dream. It's a, uh, you know, it's not super weird, I guess, but but it it was one time in my life of, of just a few times that God spoke to me very real and very plainly in a dream. I was about my freshman year of college and I was really searching after the Lord, asking him to uh, to be present with me and to use me and to give me, you know, when you're in college, you don't know what you wanna do. You're trying to find direction and clarity. You remember those days? They were awfully wonderful. And I remember going to bed one night and through the night I had a dream. And in that dream, I was face to face with Jesus. And I remember he and I were talking And as we were talking, I just remember sensing that there was this overwhelming, indescribable joy, and this this presence was so, uh, it, it was so magnificent that I could not even formulate words or thoughts to describe it. And then I woke up. The rest of the night, I spent begging God, would you put me back to sleep just for one more moment of that. I'm telling you, it was so real, I, 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 I can't even describe to you, but I remember the longing, God, would you just give me one more taste of that? I've never had that again in my life, but it was so vivid, that was 30 years ago. I think what I'm trying to tell you is this, we know God about that much. If we were to see his glory, if we were to experience his glory the way that he showed Moses, we would never be the same. And I don't want to ever be the same. So this week what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend as much time under this stupid circus tent. I say stupid. It's not stupid. It's silly. It's ridiculous. I want you to go as much as you can, but I'm not waiting on you. Because I'm expecting God to move in me. And I'm asking God to move in me. And I'm also asking God to move in you. So in this tent... Let me tell you the format. We're going to start tonight at 6 p.m. with some worship and some corporate prayer, which means we're simply going to, as, as we worship, we're going to invite you to pray about different things. And as we worship and pray, we'll, we'll spend however long it, however long we're supposed to be there. I mean, literally, nobody's, nobody's keeping track of you. This is between you and God. You come and go as God leads you. There's no cameras. There's no check in sheet. But we're going to dedicate this tent tonight at 6 o'clock and we're going to pray and we're going to sing that, and ask God to make his presence known. We're going to ask him to give us what we need to do next. We're going to ask him for his presence to be with us and we're going to ask him to show us his glory. And in the midst of that, we'll see what else happens. Now, in the tent, there are going to be four different stations. The first station is the Adore station. It's going to be a giant white box with black magic markers. And on that station, as you're praying there, I want you to write words of adoration to God. Marvelous, holy, perfect, indescribable. Whatever words you find, I want you to just write it. I want to cover that box with words of adoration towards God. The next station is a big cross. That's the confess station. I want you to spend time in front of that cross, and I want you to ask God to reveal the sinfulness of your own heart. And as God shows you the things in your life that you need to confess and repent from, I want you to just write it down on a piece of paper, take a thumbtack, and stick it on the cross. You don't have to put your name. Nobody's watching that. But just just stick it up there. And throughout the week, we'll see all the things that we've confessed. On the next station is uh, the thank station and it's a big almost eight foot by four foot wall again with a marker I want you to write the things that you're thankful for on this wall just say Lord I'm thankful for or just write the word whatever God leads you to do on the fourth station it's uh, the word ask this is what you're asking God for God, I'm asking you for a job. I'm asking you for peace. I'm asking you for influence. I'm asking you for whatever it is you ask. Lord, I'm, I, I hope that it'll shift just stuff for us to stuff for other people. Um, there's where you intercede for other people, your friends and your family and your neighbors. And so throughout the week, these four stations will be, um, oh, by the way, there's two jugs, and there'll be a piece of paper you can write the ask and stick it in the jug. And that jug hopefully will fill up with asking of God. Every night this week through Saturday night at 6 p.m., we're going to gather and corporately worship. No preaching. It's going to be singing and praying and testimonies. As God leads, we're just going to let him lead. We're gonna conclude our time on Sunday morning at 6 a.m. with an Easter sunrise service. It will be dark at 6 a.m. And as we are are worshiping, the sun is gonna rise. I can see it in my head. It's beautiful. The sunrise service, again, there's no preaching. Why is there no preaching? Here's why. Because as was said of the Great Welsh Revival, we've had enough preaching to last us a lifetime. Now we just need to do what we've heard from all these sermons. We don't need to know anything else. We just need to do what we already know. And then, of course, we'll conclude the 10 at 6, at probably 7 a.m. On, on Easter morning. And then we'll come back here. We'll have breakfast. And then we'll have our regular, wor- regular worship time at 10.30. I want you to experience this. I really do. I want you to invite neighbors and friends or whoever, but I want you to think most of all about your own soul. I want you to think about you meeting God. This is a gift, I think, from God to us. Aren't you excited? Man, what would God do? Thank you, John. (laughs) I can see it in you. I think, see, here I am again. I'm dreaming. Wouldn't it be great to see restored relationships, families smiling again, addicts laying down their needles and their bottles. Wouldn't it be amazing for the police to say, man, there's been no calls this week. What's happened to all the crime? Wouldn't it be awesome to see people stop in off the street and say, you know what, I, I just had to stop. Can you tell me about Jesus? Back in 1904, a, a kid by the name of Evan Roberts, he was 26 at the time, but when he was 13, he started work, or 12, he started working in the coal mines, and at 13, he went to a revival service And he was so moved by the possibility of God bringing revival that he started praying and he prayed for 13 years for God to bring revival to his town. 13 years later, I believe about 17 people were in the room and he stood up to preach a sermon. And God opened up the doors of revival that at the end of it, there were almost 100,000 plus people that came to faith in Christ. It lasted almost two years and there was virtually no preaching It was prayers and testimonies of the goodness of God. And historians will tell you the reason that it probably was like that was so that nobody got to steal God's glory. Let me tell you, preachers are good about wanting to be on stage. If you don't believe me, just ask. But this is about God. All right, let's pray. Father, as water is to a thirsty person, so your spirit is to a thirsty soul. We have prayed and we have sought. And Lord, we've prepared. We've done everything we can do. Now we're waiting on you. Lord, you know the love that I have for your people here. Lord, you alone know how I long to see revival in the hearts of those in this room. And Lord, you know how I, how long I have longed, even for my own heart to experience this revival. But Lord, we're laying down all of our expectations and just placing them into one. Lord, our expectation is simply that we be obedient and let you move. Father, I'm thankful. I, I, I just, I'm thankful. Lord, I pray that you would demonstrate the gospel through us. And God, with, hope, with hopeful expectation, we step into the rest of this week. Oh, God, would you show us your glory? Oh, God, Would your presence be with us? Oh, God, would you show us your ways? How else will the world know that we belong to you? Will you stand and and ask God through this song? Let's pray this song.